so I'm just going to be very honest with you today. The word that is in my heart, I pray, would really stir us and challenge us in a good way. I, I believe we're, we're meant to be challenged by the word of God. And so uh, for those that are in the nine o'clock, you get to hear it again. And Pastor Lee always says that the greatest teacher is repetition. He said, I'm not afraid of the revelation, or he had the revelation of repetition. And so um, usually we forget up the sermon by lunchtime, or m- maybe we'll last till Tuesday evening. But the reality is maybe we need to hear it again and again and again so that this does become embedded in our hearts. And so I pray that if you heard it already, listen again. Just listen to the word of God and ask God to work it into your very heart and your life. And so the word that the Lord put on my heart for us today is the title is this. It is, the war is raging, will you join the fight? The war is raging, will you join the fight? And it's no mystery after the introduction and what Pastor Lee already shared of what kind of war I'm talking about. Clearly not talking about a war of physical means. I'm talking about a war that is heavily upon the young generation today. Today, he said, is a special day for our young people and that we're acknowledging what they're going through and what's happening. But the reality is, is the reason why we're talking about it is not just so that we can make aware, but so that the church of Jesus Christ, you in here, each individual in here, the whole body and the individual would step into this fight and say, we will fight. Because the truth is, is, if we are unwilling, then who's fighting for them? And I mean that with all my heart. If we don't fight for them, who's fighting the young people have to have people that are fighting for them because there is a war raging and it will go, the war will happen with or without you. But the reality is, is we want to see the church fight in the midst of it because it's in that I believe the victory we're going to see. God has given the church, like Pastor Lee said, the power of his spirit to storm the gates of hell, to take down the, the kingdom of darkness, to advance the kingdom of God and light in this world. And so it is our role to fight and engage this war for the young people. And when I mean young people, I mean... Youth, I mean children, I mean infants, you name it, all of that. Those minors of any sort, we want to fight for them. The war that they're facing is heavy, and we know this, there's no mystery, that what is happening in our world today is quite, it's crazy. It seems like everything is just absolutely crazy. We see such a push for transgenderism and things of that sort. And we know that that is just, it just shows you the confusion in the culture. People are totally confused, and they don't understand what's happening. They don't understand who they are, what anything of that sort. And, and there's all sorts of issues in that world that, that, that's happening upon. But there's a huge issue with that. And young people are told, oh, you can do that. It's okay to believe this. It's okay to receive that. It's okay to think this about yourself. You do you. You embrace what you like, what you want. And the truth is they're completely confused. There's no truth anymore. There's no truth in the They believe there's no truth. And so because of that, they don't even stand on the word of God. And so the war is coming against them to believe that there's no truth. They're buying into craziness around transgenderism and all sort of things. Not only that, but there's an extreme case in our country that has only increased of depression and anxiety. And I mean that. Like, spending time with youth kids, it's very clear. Many of them will tell me their greatest struggle is the depression and anxiety that they face. And these are church kids. You think if the church kids feel that way, imagine what worldly kids are feeling with that. Right, this generation has such an intense pressure. The war on them from Satan is trying to make them so depressed and filled with anxiety to get their eyes on all of their problems and all of the issues and off of God. And, and he's done that through clever means of even using, and I'm not going to preach against uh, phones, but I'm just going to tell you, he's used clever means to buying into social media that makes them depressed and filled with anxiety, and they're less connected to people than they've ever been before, though they can send a message faster than they've ever been before. The reality is we know people are less connected now. They spend less time with each other as God intended us to be. 
Suicide has increased within the last 20 years more and more. And young people, more they, even in Netflix a few years ago, had a whole TV series that was geared about a young girl taking her life. And it was like one of the top viewed series. And it was a TV show. And young people loved it. Like there's a fascination with suicide. There's a fascination with death. There's a fascination with wanting to kill themselves. This is the enemy who's bringing this upon our young people. Pornography is rampant. You don't even need to know that. You, I mean, you know that already, but pornography is so rampant than ever before. The means in which they have access to it is just it. They can get it anytime they want. It's everywhere. And not only that, but there's the attack on the household. At this state in our country right now, in the U.S. home, 40% of kids grow up in a single-parent home without only just one parent, whether it's a father, a mother. Um, and, and 40% of those are one that don't even have their father in their life ever. The reality is that our young people, y'all, are under a great war. And I, I say all this just to ask you, will we fight? I love what Pastor Lee just said. He said, how, basically, how dare we complain about young people if we do not lift a hand to help them? And man, I pray that that would hit us in a biblical way, in a way that would move us to say, I don't want to just complain. I want to help them. I don't want to complain about the youth kid that irritates me or the kid that does this in the church that makes me angry if I'm unwilling to minister to that person. And to care for them. And so I pray that today we do this. So my heart's desire is simply this. is for us to be aware of the war that's going on around us. And to encourage us as the body of Christ. The church of Jesus. To engage that fight. To believe that God has called us to fight in this war. And to, and to honestly save a generation. Save a generation in front of us. And so if you have your Bibles. You can turn to the passage of Mark chapter 10. We're going to look at this passage. It's very familiar, but God has put this word in my heart, this passage in my heart with a few insights that I just want to give you. Um, and, and, and in this, just notice the insights that I feel like God has given me are this. This is how we ought to fight. Like if we're going to engage the battle, which I pray all of you will, because the war is going on whether you like it or not. If the war is going on, how do we begin to fight? What do you do moving forward from here? Like getting up out of your, out of your chair when you leave this place, what do you begin to do? And I think that's important for us to look at that. And so, again, if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 10, verse 13 through 16, and we'll go ahead and read this. And it says, And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. So I want to look at this passage and I want to look at the truth. How are we supposed to fight? And I I mean this all, please, church, please don't just sit there. And I'm not talking about right now, but don't just sit there in the midst of a war. Do you imagine if there was an army and there's a war going on around them and they're just folding their hands or they're sitting in the bunkers and the bullets are going over their heads and things are happening and people are trying to get up and walk out and... You got some getting out of the bunker and charging the battlefield, and then some are just sitting there and they're playing cards with each other. And sometimes that's what happens for us because we're not engaged in the fight that God has called us to. And I just ask, like, with all soberness and seriousness and realness, here today, the war's happening. You are the soldiers called to fight. All right? And so I'm going to give you three things. The first thing I want you to see in this passage about how we're to fight is that we must do this. We must 
bring them to Jesus. And this is found in verse 13. When you look at this passage, it says in verse 13, and they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. In this story, we read about people, uh, or people, or in some translations, say parents. But either way, what we see is we see that the parents of the people were bringing their children to Jesus. And this is what we must do. We must bring the children. We must bring this younger generation to Jesus. And specifically, the text tells us that the reason why they were bringing these children to Jesus is so that Jesus might touch them. That they might receive a blessing from Jesus. It wasn't uncommon in Israel at this time for parents to bring their children to rabbis to receive some sort of a blessing. But this was a different case. This wasn't like a normal case. This was bringing him to Jesus. And these parents must have recognized that this was not just a normal everyday rabbi. But this was the kind of person that their children needed. This was the kind of person, and really, this was God in the flesh, right? Who the per- these children needed. They needed a touch from this one. The one who his heart and life would flow with compassion, gentleness, kindness, joy, and love. All of these sort of things. And you can imagine that these parents would look upon Jesus and recognize this life, how he acted and what he did. And it's like, I need to bring my children to this person. I need to bring my children to this Jesus. Because whatever he has, this is what my children need. These parents would have recognized that, that, they, that Jesus, these kids needed what Jesus had. And so these, these parents wanted these kids not just to hear about Jesus, but to experience Jesus. And just let that sit there for a second. Not just to hear about Jesus, but to experience Jesus. Just imagine for a moment how this encounter would have changed the lives of these little children forever. Could you imagine... You, you can think about, think about people that have invested in your life or loved on you. You remember those names, but you don't remember who won the MVP five years ago in the, uh, the, super, the Super Bowl. We don't remember these people of greatness, but remember who invested in us. And in this moment, you see Jesus pour his love and his heart for these children out, right? And so you can imagine Jesus taking these children, putting his arms around them, and how for the rest of their lives, those little kids would remember that moment. How special that would have been for Jesus, for them to be blessed by Jesus. And all of this points to this. We need to be like these parents. We must bring our children or the younger generation to Jesus. And so I want to speak to two groups in here today. First group I want to speak to is parents and grandparents. And I want to say this to you very clearly. The greatest need of your child and my child today is to get to Jesus. And it is our God-given mandate to do everything in our power by the grace of God to bring our children to a place to have a relationship with Jesus. We can't make them, but with everything in us, it is our mandate to give them every ample opportunity to know who Jesus is and to experience Jesus. This is not meaning just simply attending church with your kids. I mean that with all my heart. Church is essential. Church is necessary. Is it, a, it is a piece of the puzzle. They experience things in church that they can't experience outside of the church. It's biblical. It must happen. It's commanded. But it is not the answer to everything. It is a part of the puzzle. And the truth is, is that though they can come to church, I've seen it my whole life. I've been a part of it. Kids, I know, who've grown up in church, but they still have never experienced Jesus. It's not enough getting around Jesus. They have to get to Jesus. And I can think about these parents trying to get their children to Jesus, not just to a knowledge of Jesus, but to the experience of Jesus. 
In other words, when you look at this moment, they're trying to get Jesus. They're trying to actually have a physical moment where their kids encounter Jesus himself. And what this looks like in your family, I'm not going to tell you. Because I could get up here and I could say, well, what, what works for me is this. And, what, and I could begin to tell you a list of things that every Saturday you've got to do a family worship at 3 in the morning. No one would do that. Um, you know, do something with a Bible or something with a choir phrase, something like that. But the reality is I'm not supposed to be to tell you to do that. I got ideas, sure. But here's the truth. You, parent, have to have a relationship with Jesus. You have to have a walk with Jesus. I have to have a walk with Jesus, an intimacy with Jesus, a relationship that I can hear the Holy Spirit that speaks to me. How can I bring my child to know Jesus? That requires, I'm going to be honest, like sometimes we would rather just attend church and say my kid heard about Jesus today and that's good. But, when, but, but to do what I'm talking about actually requires more of us. It requires us to really be close to Christ, close to his spirit. Hear his voice. And I say this to people who are about to have kids and people who have little bitty babies. All of us like, this is, we have to live this way. Or it's like, God, I want to be near you so you can show me what specifically I'm to do to bring my children to know you. I can tell you this right now, when to experience Jesus in church, I can tell you some of the things you could do right now is you could bring them into the altar. You could bring them to the choir of praise. You could help them learn what that is. You know, I, I love Fiona. She comes down here and she comes into the altar and she begins to worship and rejoice and dance and sing and smile and laugh and cry because she's engaged in the choir of praise. But her parents helped her to that place. And because of that, she experienced Jesus in that way. But not only has she experienced him this way, now she continues to go to Jesus on her own accord. Because she had an experience because her parents helped her to that place. And we can do that. We can bring our children to the altar. We can bring our children to the choir of praise. But at home, you have to hear what God wants you to do. I'd say this to us is that for this generation, this younger generation, parents and grandparents, is that the greatest need is for our children to have an authentic, real experience of Jesus and not just the knowledge about him. There was a study done um, by the Barna Group, and they, they basically looked at... They, Got a study done where they got all these kids who grew up in the church. And they asked all these different questions. It's a huge study. It took 10 years to do. And they found out, they said, what made these kids a resilient disciple? They put them in different categories. And resilient disciple was someone who attended church faithfully and just and, and served God in the church. And all the rest were like uh, ones who left the church and everything. And they asked, what was the number one factor? You know what the number one thing that it said that they remained faithful and resilient disciples of Jesus? Is that these kids said they learned and they, they had an intimate relationship with Jesus. Church, we have to have that. We have to have that. Because here's the truth. If we want to give that to our kids, you have to have it. How can we demand our kids to get into the, be a part of this and serve like this? And why are you not worshiping Jesus so much? And why are you not doing that? And all of these things. And yet we ourselves are not living in that way. Tell our kids to give, tell our kids to worship, tell our kids to evangelize, whatever we tell them to do. And yet we are, ourselves are not an example of that into our very lives, for their very lives. And so for us, it's like, do we want to see our kids worship God in the altar? Come to the altar. Do you want to see your kids give lavishly? Give lavishly. Do you want to see your kids share their faith? Share your faith. The number one influence on a child for them determining whether they're going to remain in Christ is their parents. Parents think that just speaks a lot to our influence. It's not peers. You think it'd be peers. It's not. 
It's not social media. It's none of those things. It's, it's parents. And so for us, we must, as parents, hear that we must bring our kids to Jesus. So the question becomes for us, how real is Jesus to us? Do they see a Jesus in you that's so real he's worthy of following? Do they ask you about Jesus because he's so real to you and so beautiful to you? He's so authentic to you. He's so relational with you that you're like, oh, Dad, I want to know about this Jesus you serve. Like he's, man, you just, you know him. Pastor Lee said this at the prayer conference. He said, he said, I asked a lot of people, a lot of young people, who do you know that's intimate with God? And they said they couldn't give an answer. And man, that, that hit me so hard. Like, God, forgive me. I don't want that. But it made me think, I want my kids to say, my father's intimate with Jesus. And I want to know about the Jesus that you're intimate with, Dad. And I want to experience them. And so I just say for parents and grandparents, it is our role, our, our mandate to bring these children to Jesus. Not to the mere knowledge of Jesus, but to truly experience Jesus. And that's what you see these parents do. They bring them to a place where Jesus actually touched them. Blessed them. They weren't just, he wasn't just like, hey, we can't get there, so I'll just tell you about it. And, 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 and here's the truth. I'm not going to say it's easy. I said this in the nine o'clock, and it's still true. If you've ever seen me leave church after, uh, after you know, if you've ever seen church end, you see me with my my four kids under five. It is very hard to get all my kids out of these doors and into the van. They're running around. They're going this way. One's trying to climb that way. One's doing this way. And you guys know if you have kids, it's very difficult to herd kids in a direction to try to get them to move in one direction. Like let's go, family. But here's the reality: it just because it's difficult doesn't mean we don't do it. We, we, we live in such a way that we try to direct our kids to Jesus to the best of our ability. And we ask God and we seek God to do that until we bring them to, the, to Christ. So parents and grandparents, this is our call. But this does not just extend to them and them alone. It extends to the church. Because it's very easy for the rest of us to check out in this moment and say, I don't have kids. I don't, I'm not a grandparent. I'm a youth. I'm a young adult. Don't really need to worry about that. Or I'm in a phase of life where it's really not a big deal. But this is not true. Because here's the reality. Right now, the world is in a place where there's thousands of children who have no father. Like, think about it. If I, like I said earlier, the greatest need for this generation is what? To experience Jesus. To know God. To know the Father. To have an authentic experience with Jesus. And the truth is, is that majority, of the, there's a, a large amount of people today that 40% of the general, of, of, so there's 40% single parent homes and then 40% that have no contact with their father. Think about the thousands. I think, I think I looked it up. It was 20 million American kids do not have a father in their life. Who's bringing them to Jesus? Who's bringing them to the father? Like seriously, like think about it. If the church doesn't, who will? Because this is the war. The war is against them. The devil is trying to take away the father from the household. He's trying to destroy him. And, and there can be fathers who are actually in the household, but not present in the household either. But here's the deal. Like, church, who's going to help those kids come to know Jesus? Who's going to introduce them to the father? The one who all joy, love, peace, and life in himself comes from. The one who brings satisfaction to every one person's life. The one who can, all, who can fulfill every one of our deepest desires and true longings is the Father in heaven. And it's our job as a church to say, we will go after this young generation to introduce them to the Father. We can't afford to be like people who just sit back and say, I'm not engaging this war. I'm not engaging. There is a generation that is being lost in front of us. And they don't have fathers in many ways. And some that even do, they don't have fathers that are taking them to the Father. We must bring this generation to Jesus. 
If we don't, we'll lose them. If we don't, we'll see a whole generation never be introduced to the Heavenly Father. And I just say to you, like, how real is our Father to us? Because as we get closer and closer to the Father Himself, we want to talk about the Father more and more and more to others. And a Father changes everything. They need to know about the Father. Think about the outreaches that we have. Like right now, we're getting into a school for for outreach, it's, it's going to be a, 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 not at a Christian school. And we're going to go to the school. And there's very likely, it's going to be week after week. Very likely you're going to meet kids who have no idea who their earthly father is. Or they have no relation with them. But you know what they need? They need their earthly father. They need a heavenly father. We have a sports camp we're putting on this summer. where We're, we're anticipating 100 to, two, 100 to 150 kids to come to that. The truth is, there's probably going to be a large amount of those kids who have no idea who the heavenly father is. In church, it is our responsibility like, if we don't fight the fight, who fights the fight? No one. No one. And this is what we must see, is that church, it is our call to engage the children, to bring them particularly to Jesus, to the Heavenly Father. So I just ask you, like, just simply thought, like, think about the Heavenly Father. Bring somebody to Him. Is He worthy of that? Absolutely. And so the first thing that we have to do, if we're going to engage this war, it is this. We must bring them to Jesus like these parents did. Not just to knowledge, but to a relationship with Jesus. Grandparents and grandparents, that is our call. And those for the rest of the church, it is not just your call just to sit back and do nothing. We are to engage the whole culture. And I would even say, even within the church, there are kids who need to be introduced to Jesus, brought to Jesus, even in this church right now. That you could have an impact on. That you could help them come to know who their heavenly father is. Who Jesus, the father really is for their life. I was thinking about this. And I was thinking about my, my, my mom's testimony. Me and my mom were talking the other day. She made a statement to me. She said. She was talking about the ladies Bible study they just had. And she said that. Um, they asked the question. What has God done for you? And they were talking about how you share your story with people. And she was, the question was. You should share with people. You know what God's done for your life. And she said. I stopped to think. What has God done for me? And, and, I, and she said, you know, immediately my first thought was he gave me a father. And, and my mother's story is, is this, is that my mother, she grew up in a home where her father left her at a very young age. Her and her two sisters, and I think they were under the age of five or, or six when, they let, when he left. And they're all back to back, like 12, 13 months apart. And they grew up together without a father. And, and when their father left, their mother became an alcoholic. And, and, and my grandmother was an alcoholic pretty much her whole, my, mo- my mother's whole upbringing. And she, she would try to find men to please her and to try to take care of her. And, and, and my mother's experience was that men would be in and out of the house of their life. And she wouldn't really feed them and do things. And she'd bring them candy. And that's what they ate for dinner. And my mother told me, said, you know what changed my life? What God has done is that I, I, I had a father. When I came to God, I had a father for the first time in my life. And church, you have the opportunity to do that for people. You have the opportunity for, to, to, to have, see the testimony in other people to say, for the first time in my, in my life, I have a father because, because Deanna, because Keith, because whoever in this church introduced me to the Heavenly Father. And you know what's beautiful? I think about this. Because my mother came to have a Heavenly Father, she married a man and became my earthly father. And I grew up in a home with a good earthly father and a perfect heavenly father. And my life is blessed because of it. 
You have no idea what your impact will do if you will help young people come to know their Heavenly Father. If you will introduce them to the Father in Heaven who is all joy and peace and life. And so church, I just ask you, let's, let's do that. Let's, let's help them come to know the Father who is in Heaven. The second thing I'd say to us about how we're to fight is this. We must invest in this generation. We must invest our lives in this generation, our time in this generation. In order to understand this point, we have to look at the disciples in the story and particularly how they value children. It's really no mystery that in, the, in this time of history, children didn't necessarily hold great value to many people. In the Roman world, babies were often discarded in dumpsters only to be snatched up and raised as prostitutes and gladiators in that day and age. And so children did not have much value. And, but in the Jewish world, they had a little bit more value. But when you look at this statement by the disciples and what they do, you can particularly see that they don't put value on children. They don't put value on the younger generation in this. In, in this. And the way that you see it is it talks about how when the, the parents tried to bring their children to Jesus, like we are commanded to do, the disciples rebuke them. And that means to be sharp, sharp disapproval for the parents and what they were attempting to do to bring their children to actually have an encounter and a relationship with Jesus. And I, you know, and I was thinking, why? Like, why did the disciples, why did that bother the disciples so much? And here's the truth is that the reason why it bothered the disciples so much is because the disciples did not value these children. And they didn't value these children because they didn't fit the disciples' agenda. Essentially, this is what it meant. The disciples had it in their mind that Jesus was supposed to be focused on particular things that they wanted. They wanted Jesus to focus on building his kingdom in Jerusalem. And this is what Jesus is supposed to be doing. And so anything with these kids is a waste of time. It's not important. doesn't have as much value. So don't, let's not stop here and invest this little bit of time we have to go and pour our lives into these children. Because you know what? They're not going to help us. Because what can a, a kid do to advance the kingdom of God in their mind? Because in their mind, the kingdom of God was going to be advanced by war, by military might, by political power. That Jesus was going to ride into Jerusalem and he was going to set up his earthly kingdom in such a way that all the people would say, he's our king and he's going to overthrow the Roman world. And so in their mind, they're thinking, these kids can't help with that. So why are we wasting our time here? Why are we investing in these kids? Why are you stopping to do this? And the truth is, is that we sometimes can find ourselves doing this same thing. They didn't see this is how they saw children. They basically said these children would not be beneficial to their agenda or their particular purpose for Jesus and beneficial for their ministry and what they wanted. And so thinking through this, what we see is we see Jesus, though, on the other hand, who's the complete opposite. Jesus didn't see these children as a distraction or a roadblock like his disciples did. From his mission, even though what he was going to do was utmost importance. He was going to Jerusalem. At this point in the story, he's actually on his way to Jerusalem to die. And he still stops to be with these kids. Because he knows the investment in these kids is eternal. And he stops, and he doesn't, he doesn't see it as a distraction from his mission, but part of his mission. And Jesus is willing to take time from this to stop and invest his life in them. And like I said earlier, could you imagine what that would have meant to these kids for the rest of their lives? They would remember for the rest of their lives that the Messiah stopped for me. He saw I was worthy of his time, even though he was going to the cross to do great things. He, I was worthy of of it in his eye. He valued me enough to stop and invest in me. And this is what I believe we have to learn from this, is that we must invest in this next generation. This younger generation 
has to be invested in. Yes, they have to be brought to Jesus, but not only brought to Jesus, they must be invested in. And we must not look at ministry to children as quote-unquote distracting us from the main ministry, but we must see it as the ministry that Jesus himself would pause for and do things for. Like, what's going on over there is not second-rate ministry. It's not ministry that's like, oh, that, that's for the, you know, we put the kids over there and it's child care and they're trying to just take care of them. No, like that is like the pastor said, is the kingdom of God. It is what God is doing. It's, it's, it's God moving in a mighty way. And so we can't look at children's ministry or spending time and investing with little children or spending time with youth and trying to help them as some type of like, well, that's really not the most important thing, Jesus. You really shouldn't be doing that. Like, wouldn't I be better if I did this? Am I better at this kind of thing? And, 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 that, and, and try to look at children's ministry as if it's not valuable or it's not worthy of our attention or that there's other things that are way better than that. But yet Jesus himself stopped for this. Our greatest example stopped. And I'm, gonna, I'm not trying to deceive you to think it's easy. I highly doubt it was easy for any, any children's ministry ever in the history of children's ministry. But easy does not determine how it does not determine us continuing forward what God has called us to do. It is obeying the call of God, because if we don't invest in them, the world will have them. The world, I would say it like this: Babylon has already invested in our kids. If we're not investing in them, we're not having the heart of use to say, "I'm willing to stop and take the time to be with kids," then the world will take our place and do it. There's a couple things I read this week that I was looking at is that right now our kids are being discipled and trained and invested in by the world far more than spiritual input in their life. The average kid, the average church kid spends 2,767 hours on a, a device phone a year in comparison to 291 hours of spiritual input into their life. That includes church, Bible studies, youth group personal time, time with the family, all of that. Combine it all. 291 hours a year, roughly. While they spend 2,767 hours on a device. This is what it tells me, is that our children are being shaped and formed and invested in by things from the world much more than the things of the church. And we can't afford to do such because if we do, we will lose them. We have to invest in them now. The average child is exposed to pornography before the age of 12 now. And many of them do now said, it's been said that many of them do not even want to talk to their parents about sex. The first time a kid hears about sex is usually porn. And they actually go to porn intentionally because they think that's how they should learn about it. Because guess what? You can learn anything on the internet. Much as a blessing it has been has also been a difficult thing because they think, why do I need to talk to my parents about stuff when now I have access to learn anything? And so many kids aren't even learning what's, what, what is biblical, how God has produced biblical sexuality from the beginning of the Bible and onward and all these things. And, and this is what's being poured into our children. And I would say, what are, are we investing in anything? Like, what are we investing? And, and we cannot, so we cannot afford not to sit back because we do think about it. Everything that invests in our kids, movies and music and social media, there's body image, is, body image issues all over, boys for boys and girls because of social media. They just scroll and scroll and they see all these things and they think, this is what I should be. This is what I should be. It used to be just a magazine you see in the store, but now it's everywhere in front of them. This is what my life should be like. 
They're being invested in by the world. And so we cannot afford to see children's ministry as some type of distraction. But we have to see it as something that is worth our while to invest our time in. And I know time is valuable. Time is valuable. But it is worth our time. Because if we do not, this gener- what will happen to this generation? 70% of kids that grow up in the church world leave the church between 18 and 22. 70%. We're keeping a third. Guys, and, and, and in that study, when I was reading that, they said majority is because they were not invested in. They were just brought, grew up. But it takes a church to say, I will invest my life into this. I will go after this. I will see this. I will live this way. And, and no, this doesn't mean, I'm not saying that that means you have to volunteer in fireplace every week. I said this at 9 o'clock and I'll say it again. Not every one of you is meant to be in fireplace. You're like, you were not called there. Some of you are not made for that. Just the reality. But the truth is, you're called to have the heart of God for children. And if we don't have the heart of God for children, then we are not like God. But we need to receive it. And so there could be a bunch of different ways that we could help and that God may call us to help. But we are called to invest, whether it's through prayer, whether it's fireplace, whether it's nursery or whatever it might be. We are called to invest. Let us not sit on our hands and watch a war happen and watch this generation be, be swallowed up by the devil in this world. And we say, well, that shame on that generation. Shame on those young people because they, they believe that. What are we doing to invest in them? How much time are we spending with them? Challenged some of my youth leaders the other day. I was talking to one of them. I said, do we really know our youth? Do we really know our youth? Or do we just come to Tuesday nights? We talk to them there and we hang out with them there. But do we really know them? Like, how much are we really in their life? And I just say, like, how much do you know what's going on in these kids' lives? Church, it is it's you. You are the one that God has left here to help to make a difference in these children's lives, in this young generation's lives. And so we must invest. And the reality is, is that if we, we just can't afford not to, because the next, and, and Lee said it's not the future generation, and it is the now generation, but it also is the future generation, because the truth is we all will die. And so they will be living longer than us. It's just part of it, right? So like in 2050, the Lord tarries. They're leading the church. Most of them will be in their 30s and 40s and are in fireplace right now. They're leading the church ultimately, right? Like we'll be moved on. We'll be past all that. They, and the truth is if we don't invest in them now, are we going to see what God, the potential of what God wants to do in their life? Like this, like if you just look at that door right now, go ahead and look. Yeah, you can look. Don't look at me. Turn your head. Look through that door. And on the other side of that, all the way across the property, is our fireplace. Pashley said last week there was 42 of them. And I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about who's in that fireplace, in this understanding. Who are the future Caleb sharers? Like, the kids next door are the kids that are going to be like a Caleb sharer in this church. If you know, if you, Caleb's not here, but if you knew Caleb, this man gave his life to serve this church. Who are, are the people, the kids next door that are going to grow up to be like a Caleb Murphy? Or like a Michelle Valet? Or Randy Pampel, or whoever it is, you know, a Chris Mahalik. 
That, that, that because you invested in them, they grew to be people. And these are people that when I think about First New Testament, I think about people who just have given their lives. There's Todd Richard and Pam Richard. And the list could go on and on and on. But they've given their lives for Jesus and his church. And, the, and we want those kind of people. We want to see that happen. And the people that are going to be that in 2050, they're next door. And we, if we invest in them, we can see that happen in their life. People who truly give their life for Jesus. And so it's looking at kids not as a roadblock to anything, but it's looking at kids as, the, as, as, as truly valuable and worthy of being invested in. And when I think about this, I think about Linda Sale. How many of you know Linda? I was actually expecting less to raise their hand because Linda is so quiet. I don't even know if she's in here. She's so quiet and shy, but if you know Linda and her life, she's been a part of this church almost from the beginning, maybe from the beginning. And when I think about Linda Sale, Linda Sale for years has invested her life in children in this church. And for years she's poured into them, and I want to tell you this right now, you have reaped the reward of her investment. I'm going to tell you that right now. Because Jordan Ship, and Ethan Ship, Hayden Ship, and I was about to say Becca Smith, Becca Birch, <laughs> and Rachel Carter, and Michael Richard, and other individuals that you see that serve this church, that lead you in worship, that you've experienced the presence of God in this altar, they were invested in by a woman who said, they're worth my time. That's the heart of God. Like they, and they will tell you, like I've had, I've had Ethan say it, I don't know where he is, but I've had Ethan say it, where he said, I, when I think about my life, I think about what Linda did for me growing up. Man, y'all, that, that's the kind of life we ought to live. And would it be to God that there's a, there's a hundred Lindas in this room that doesn't have to be showy, doesn't have to be known, doesn't have to be famous, but just would say, I want to live my life where I'm investing in these kids that they one day are leading us in worship and they're one day preaching and they're one day doing all of these things in the church. And they can begin to do those things now, as Pastor Lee said, but those kids, they are the future of the church. And so our investment is, is crucial to this. And so this leads me to my final point. And the final thing I'll have to say regarding this. And it's that not only must we get the children to Jesus or invest our lives into, into these kids so that they can know Jesus and grow and be what God has called them to be, but it is that we must have the heart of Jesus for them. When we read this passage, the one thing that is so clear is that Jesus loves children. Like, that's not a mystery. You read this passage, there's no, like, arguing. Does Jesus love children or not? No, he loves these children, and Jesus cares for these children. He's angry with his disciples for keeping the these children from him. He's angry. He's like, you're hindering them from coming to me. I want the children. Oh, let us not be like these disciples that say, well, nah, children's ministry is blah, right? But, he, but what he does is in this passage, you see him, he takes these children into his arms and blesses them. And like I said earlier, if you could just imagine that, like think about a hug. A hug is like you hug someone, so you give them like a little kid. When they want to be hugged, you put your arms around them to give them security because they want to feel secure. Do you imagine how secure you felt in the arms of Jesus? I talk about security. The love they must have felt in that moment. The text makes it abundantly clear that Jesus has such a love for these children. And we must have Jesus' heart for them. That sort of love. In fact, I will say this, if we don't have a heart that is warm, welcoming, and filled with love for the younger generation like Jesus has, then we don't have the heart of Jesus. You can say you love Jesus all you want, but if we don't love children, we don't love Jesus the way he wants us to love him. 
We don't have his heart like he wants us to have it. And we need it. Like, we need to have it. Here's the reality. And I would say that this is the most important of all the three. Yes, bring them to Jesus. Yes, then invest in them. But most importantly, have the heart of Jesus for them. Because it is from having the heart and receiving the heart of Jesus that everything else flows. Because what you'll do, if you don't have the heart of Jesus for them, is you'll make it a work of the flesh. You'll make it a work of the law or you'll do it out of guilt. Or you'll do it in a way where you'll drive your kids insane. You'll begin to pound them. We got to do this because pastor said so. Or you'll feel guilty and you'll be like, you know what, I didn't, you know, I, I, I don't do this, but I need to go do this. So I'm going to start every Wednesday, we're going to do this with my kids. And, and it becomes a work of your flesh. And you know, what? The, when, whenever times get tough, work, things that are works of the flesh don't continue. You give up very quickly. But when things come from the heart, there's a, there's a resolve in you to continue forward. And what we need is we need the heart of Jesus for these children. And it's from that that you're doing that out of the spirit and you're doing that out of love and you're not doing that out of the law or guilt or the flesh in any way, but you're doing it out of a heart that Jesus has given you and molded in you and shaped in you. And so because of that, when difficult times come, you continue onward. When a kid in fireplace does something that irritates you, you continue onward. When a kid in the church does something that just makes you so angry, you continue to love. Because you have Jesus' heart for him. And the question is like, okay, how do we receive the heart? How do I have that heart? I believe this with all my heart. The simplicity of it really is this. You acknowledge that you don't have it. You don't have to pretend to be something you're not. And in the eyes of God, God doesn't want you to pretend. He just, you just say, God, I don't have a heart like that. But would you make my heart like that? Because I believe biblically that it's when we walk in humility like that, then God begins to shape our heart by his grace. He begins to work in our life by his grace and and everything changes. And that heart that we need to drive us to care for the younger generation, whether it's youth, whether it's children, whether it's infants, whether it's nursery, all of those things comes from a heart that's like Jesus. I say this all my heart. Like, don't do this out of guilt and don't do this out of law and don't do this because a pastor says so. Do it because you've given Jesus your heart and he's shaping your heart to love like he loves the little ones. And let it be real. Because you, could you imagine, like, Jesus, like, when kids came to Jesus, they didn't, like, stand back and be like, you don't love me. Like, they didn't have to question. Jesus probably had so much joy and peace and love and kindness on his face that kids were like, you're, you're I don't want to say beautiful, but whatever, beautiful. Like, you are amazing. We want to be around you. And the truth is, it's because it's love he had for them. And I pray that we would have that same kind of love that would shape the kids literally like, I want to be in this church. Because the reason why I want to be in this church is because I'm loved in this church. I feel the love of God and we have to offer God and give God our hearts to say, God, let your love be shaped in me. And so what does all this look like for us? What could this look like for your life? I'll just say this very simply for us. There's several different things it could look like. For some of you, like I said earlier, you're not all called to go to fireplace, but it could look like fireplace. I appreciate what Pastor Lee said. We had 42 kids last week and we had four volunteers. I'm just going to be honest. That's a problem. That's a problem. It's a problem because, number one, the volunteers are like, help. You know, like they need help. Number two, we need more people to invest into those kids. And there's more people in here who have the, the calling of than four. More than four people in here who have a calling of God to invest in them. That doesn't mean you have to volunteer every week. 
right? If you talk to Rachel, she'll say, hey, I'll put you on every five weeks, every six weeks. I'm trying to volunteer every six weeks so that I'm not out of the church service here because I know I have a role here. But yet at the same time, I can be over there and say, I believe in what God's doing. So maybe it's that. Maybe you're just rotating. You're going to be over there. And I would just say this to young people. You want to do ministry? This is it. Like youth and young adults, if you want to ask, like ask all the older ones. Like ask the Bubba, ask the Bubbas, ask Jordan, ask Michael and Becca and all the kids that grew up in the church. You know where they bit their teeth to learn ministry? Was in children's ministry. I mean, they were part of it. If you want to serve Jesus, begin to minister to children. And I appreciate some of you youth that are beginning to do that. It could look like Operation Christmas Child that Miss Vicky leads so beautifully. Every year God has used that. But it could look like you really investing into that. And serving into that and giving more and not just relying on the, the, the older women in the church to supply all the gifts this year. But young people going and saying, I'm going to take part in it. I have the heart for Jesus. Could look like you signing up for Child Evangelism Fellowship to be put into a school to go to a weekly Bible study to lead elementary kids to Jesus with Danielle. And, this, and, and, and again, may not be every week, but you could do it once a month, once a quarter, whatever it might be. But be a part of that. Could be you volunteering at the sports camp. It's coming up this summer. There's a hundred and 150 kids that, guess what? Jesus wants us to put our arms around and love them. And, 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 and sorry, but 10 arms isn't enough. 100 to 150 kids to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. It, requ- it could require that. So maybe you don't have sports skill. That's fine. You know what we need? We need people that can announce it to get it out in the community. We need people that will bring uh, snacks and Powerades and Gatorades and all kind of whatever. Cheez-Its. I told him earlier, I said, we need a, mountains of, a mountain of Cheez-Its to feed these kids. We genuinely do all of these things. Like you can help. You can show the heart of Jesus for children and his love for this young generation by simply doing those things. It doesn't have to be super complicated. You could support, you could do this by supporting orphanages that Noah supports overseas and CJ Catroni and others that care for orphans all over the world right now. You could begin to do that just by giving monthly something small. You could begin to tutor kids. You could begin to minister to kids in our, our school at FNT Academy, but also other schools. You could do all the things. You could begin to disciple and mentor youth kids that have questions and need, need leadership and just mentorship in their very life. And then the most important thing of all is you could pray. Like that's the most important thing this church could do is to combat in prayer for the younger generation. Because like I said earlier, they're being, the devil is trying to swallow them up. He's trying to destroy this generation in front of us. And I just ask us, what is fueling us? We must be fueled in prayer here for them. We must seek God for them. We must intercede on their behalf. We must become a generation that stands in the gap for that generation. We don't want to lose them. We don't want to miss them. We don't want to see the church of 2050, if the Lord tarries, to be nothing. Because we did not step into the role that God has ordained you and me to in this moment. And so I ask you right now, like, what will you do? What kind of church do we want to be? Pastor Lee used to always say this to the youth. What kind of church do you want? What kind of church do you want? Make it the church you want it to be. If you want it to be a church that has young people, minister to young people. Make young people feel loved here. Care for them. Invest in them. Bring them to Jesus. And most of all, have a heart that Jesus has given you for them in this life. And so this is what I want to do in closing. Like I said earlier, there's a war. And we biblically are called to fight in it. Like we are. Like I, 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 I can't say it enough. I hope you get it. I hope you get that. 
The battle is not, we're just not to sit on our hands and say, young people, go ahead and try to survive. Try to swim. Go ahead and make it. We are called to do everything in our power to try to help these young people. And I hope you get that. And if that war is true, this is what I want to do. I believe the right thing for us to do is to, to enter into the most important thing we can do, and that's the intercessory prayer. I want to see the altars. I would pray we could see the altars filled this morning of intercessory prayer for young people. That these young people who are battling all of this stuff with the craziness, the confusion of the culture, we would begin to war for them this morning. That's what I want to say. I pray that we would do that. And the second thing is this. I'd like to see parents, could we bring our kids to the altar? And so, like, this is different, but I mean this. If you have a child in fireplace, can you go get them? Like, if you have a grandchild in fireplace or a child, can you go get them? Like, now. Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> like, now. And the reason why is because I want to, like, we talk about our kids needing to know Jesus and knowledge about him, right? But like I said in the beginning, the most important thing they can have is to experience Jesus. And how often are we bringing our kids into these altars to experience Jesus? And so while these parents go get their children to bring them into the altar to have an experience with Jesus, which is the most important thing a kid can have in this state in life, is to experience who Jesus really is and come to know him. While they're doing that, could the rest of us war? Like, hear the cry of God for children. Not the cry of a pastor. The cry of God for children. His heart, his heart is around them and loves them and burns for them. And so will we answer that? And parents and grandparents, will we step into what God's called us to do? When we bring our children to Jesus and church, I'm, I'm, I beseech you, like invest in them. I think, of Kay, I think of Kevin Murphy, like half of our youth group. A good portion of our youth group knows that Kevin loves them because he's invested his life in them. He takes them to sporting events that no one knows about in this church. He just says, let's go to, let's go to an LSU basketball game or a gymnastics meeting. He just cares for them. And you know what? Those kids are like, I'm loved here. And I thank God for that. But again, how many more Lindas does God want to create in this church? How many more Kevins and people of that sort were there being invested into these young people? that these young people come to experience Jesus. So stand with me. Don't sit. Let's stand like I'm asking you. It takes combative war. And prayer is the means of war for us as Christians. Like Pastor Lee said in the beginning, we don't war against flesh and blood. We war against principalities and powers. So what is that? What is our, our weapon? We begin to pray. By the power of the Spirit, we tear down strongholds over the enemy's life, the children, their lives, the deception of the enemy. Right now, I pray, this is some things you can pray for. Pray for the, against deception. There's a strong deception in the world today. Tear it down. Tear it down, church. Like, you have the right. Young people, step out and pray for your friends. Pray for each other. Teenagers, invest in little kids. Help them come to know Jesus. Use the means of combat that Jesus has given you. We're not... We have not been given weapons that are not useful. We have been given the weapons of Jesus Christ to tear down strongholds of deception that are over the young people. So I just say, can we save a generation? By the power of the Spirit of God, let's save a generation together. Come to the altars, intercede, pray, and let's just pray right now. So Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you, Jesus. And we thank you, Jesus, Lord, that you have called us. Lord, that you have called us into the fight. That the war is raging. But Lord, you ask us today, will you join the fight? And I pray, Lord, that 
whether we're a young adult, a youth, or whether we're a parent, a grandparent, or wherever we're at, we wouldn't say, well, that's their ministry, God. Lord, but we would say, God, where are you calling us to be a part of this? Maybe it is just prayer, but Lord, then let me pray. Let me have intercessory prayer today. And Lord, maybe it is to volunteer in fireplace. Maybe it is to volunteer at a sports camp. Maybe it's to volunteer in nursery, wherever it is, God. But Lord, let me be a part of the war. Let me fight, God. Help me to tear down strongholds. Don't let me sit back on my hands and pretend like there isn't a generation that's not being swallowed up by the devil. Lord, let us save.